Hi, and welcome to Anaya's Adventures. Come on in and splash into amazingness. I'm your host, Anaya. We'll get into mystery and cool adventures. Let's get started. may not be the best, well, this podcast is a little more like a story and not, well, you know, a adventure, but it's still an adventure through the Bible. All right, now I will tell you the story on how we are here. Now, in the beginning, God had made heaven and earth. He made it all. At first, there were no people, no animals, no light, nothing. It was dark and empty. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God separated the light and darkness and called it day, and the darkness he called it night. So there was day and night. God did all this on day one. The next day, God poured water into the sea. He blew air and clouds into the sky. Now there was water and air. God did this all on day two. On day three, God was very busy. He gathered up the water so the land appeared. He made oceans and lakes waterfalls, and rivers. He made dry land, hills, and plains, and valleys. Flowers and trees sprang up, so many kinds that no one could count them. God said, it is all good. On day four, God said, let there be lights in the sky. They will divide them into days and months of the year. So he put the sun in the sky, God saw that night was very dark, so he put the moon and stars in the sky. That night they came out for the very first time. God said, it is all good. On day five, which is Friday, he filled the sea with fish. He made starfish, eels, whales, and turtles. Fast little fish for the rivers and big floppy fish for the oceans. And God filled the sky with birds, great eagles, skinging hummingbirds and squawking parrots. He made birds all shapes and sizes. And God said, it is all good. On day six, which is Saturday, he said, let there be life on the earth. So he made the animals, cows, horses, turtles, and bears, lizards, mice, worms, and lots more. There were no people, so God made the first man, Adam, and the first woman. Well, guess what? God did not just make Eve out of nowhere. God took out 
one of Adam's ribs to make Eve. And I think you're all wondering, why did he take a rib? Why not an eyeball or some hair or a hand or a leg? Or even a or even a um or even a tongue. Why not any of those? Well, God took one of the ribs so woman would be equal to man. They're not higher to the importance. Like if you took an eyeball or some hair, that would mean that women were better than men. If they were lower, like if he took a foot or a leg, that means that men are better than women. But instead, God took a rib so they can be side by side and both are the same types of equals. So, that's when God said, look after the fish, the birds, and all the other creatures. He told them, God saw everything he had created, and it was all right. Then on day seven, God rested. No more creating. So, that's why on every Sunday, we take a rest. And that's how God created the heavens and earth. God put Adam and Eve in a beautiful garden called the Garden of Eden. Give names to the animal that I have created. And God told him. What funny names they were making. Alligators and caterpillars, elephants and tortoises, squirrels and portipurses. Enjoy yourselves, God told Adam and Eve. Eat anything you like in the garden, but he warned them, never ever eat the fruit on that special tree in the middle of the garden. So Gata, so Adam and Eve started to explore. They ate fruit, they sat beside streams, they walked through the trees, they lay in soft grass, and they looked after the creatures in the living garden. One day, a sneaky snake slithered up to Eve. He sneered, why don't you eat the fruit on that tree? But that's the fruit that God told us not to eat, said Eve. Hissed the snake again, just one bite. No, I really shouldn't, Eve said. Just one teeny, eeny, weeny bite. It won't matter. So Eve did take a bite of the fruit from the forbidden tree. Then Adam came to find Eve. Here, take this fruit, said Eve. I have, and it didn't hurt me at all. She gave the fruit to Adam. He bit the forbidden fruit too. That afternoon, God came to the garden. Adam and Eve were hiding. Where are you? God called. He stood and he soon found them. Eve gave me, why are you hiding? He asked. Eve gave me the fruit, so I ate it, said Adam. 
The snake tricked me, explained Eve, trying to blame someone else, too. That's why I ate the fruit. God was sad. Adam and Eve had disobeyed him. So God sent them both out of the beautiful garden forever. He ordered angels with flashing swords to stop Adam and Eve sneaking back into the Garden of Eden. Never again would they see the beautiful flowers or enjoy quiet walks beside peaceful rivers. Adam and Eve felt very sorry and very sad. Now Adam and Eve had to work hard. They had to grow food, they sowed seeds, tore up weeds, and tended plants. The ground was rough. Thistles grew everywhere. Day after day, they worked digging and sowing, hoeing and raking, weeding and watering. It was hard, tiring work. How different from the Garden of Eden. Now, that was very sad. Right? I mean, what if that happened to you? Now, Adam and Eve had children, and their children married and had children too. Years passed and many people lived on the earth. Adam and Eve and their children and their children's children now knew good from evil. Some chose good, some chose evil, and argued and hurt each other. It became a bad world, and God became sorry he had made it. But there was one good man on the earth, Noah. I'm going to destroy the, I'm going to destroy the earth. God told Noah, I will flood the whole world with water. Can I escape? asked Noah. Yes, you, I will save you and your family and all the animals, said God. But first, you must build a great wooden ship, an ark. And then God explained just how to make the ark. So Noah and his son, Shem, Ham, and Jabbeth, started to build. They cut down trees, they sawed branches, they hammered planks, they worked as hard as they could because the ark had to be the biggest ship ever. Why are you building a ship on dry land? Noah's friends asked. Have you gone mad? Soon floods will come, Noah explained. Water will cover the earth, but we will be safe in our ark. You're crazy, said the man, and laughed rudely, like this. Ha 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 But Noah and his sons went on sawing and hammering. You must take two of each creature in the ark so they can reproduce again, God told Noah. So Noah and his sons collected two lions, two giraffes, two elephants, two mice, two flamingos, two tiny spiders, two of everything. Suddenly, the weather changed. It's time to enter the ark, said Noah. In went Noah, his family, and all the creatures, two by two. God shut the door. Then floods came. The rain fell and didn't stop. The water rose higher and higher. Soon the ark was afloat with Noah, his family, and all the animals safe inside. They sailed in the ark for 40 days. Then, at the last, the rain stopped. Slowly, the water began to go down. Bump! Crash! 
We've landed on a mountain, said Noah. I'll just send out a raven. The raven flew off. It never came back. Eight just kept flying and flying until the water dried up. Next, Noah sent a dove. By evening, she was back. There was nowhere for her to perch. A week later, Noah sent off the dove again. This time, she returned with the green branch in her beak. Noah knew that the water had gone down. Noah set out the dove a third time. She didn't come back. And all the floods were all gone. Now you can leave the ark, God told Noah. So Noah, his family, and all the creatures left the ark. And the animals scampered away. God said, Never again will I flood the earth. There will always be something, a special sign in the sky to remind you. So God put a rainbow in the sky. When we see it, we remember how God saved Noah from the flood. And that's how rainbows began. Now, it's time for a new start. Long ago in a far land called Ur, there lived a name, there lived a man named Abraham. No, Abram. He was married to Sarah. Abram and Sarah were already old, but they had no children. One day, Abram heard that God was speaking to him. Leave your home, God told him. You must take a long journey. I will give you a special new land. Abram and Sarah were brave. They believed God was ready to leave home. They set out taking them with their servants, their camels, their cattle, and their sheep. Abram had no map for the journey. God told him, I will show you to get to the land. I promise you. I will make you the father of all the great people. So, Abram's journey. They started to err and then lay down and camped for the night. They, then they went to Haran, Canaan, Bethel, Hebron, and then Beersheba. After journeying for many months, Abram came to the last land that God had promised. It was called Canaan. In Canaan, there were lush green valleys and fast and flowing rivers. This is the journey I told you about, God said to Abram. I'm, I'm giving this land to you, your children and your grandchildren. Abram had brought with him his nephew, Lot. But Lot kept arguing with Abram. Lot wanted to have all the best land for his own sheep and goats. Tired of all the squirrels, Abram had said generously, All right, Lot. You take the best land. Now Abram and Sarah settled down to live in their new land. Abram's flocks of sheep grew huge, his herds and, and camels even larger. Soon he became very rich. But Abram always remembered God's promise. One day he will have many grandchildren and great-grandchildren. 
Now Sarah was too old to have children. Abram complained to God, We've been waiting so long for a family. Then one night, God told Abram to go outside. Look at the stars in the sky. Abram looked up. Can you count the stars? Abram shook his head. You'll have as many children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren as there are stars in the night sky. And then they will marry other people, and more and more and more. It was Abram's 99th birthday to celebrate. God changed Abram's name to Abraham. Not long ago, Abraham was sitting in his tent. It was midday, and the sun was burning hot, like super hot. Three men Abraham had never seen before appeared. Come and sit in the shade, Abram called out. It's cooler here. Please eat with me. Quick, bake some bread, Abraham told Sarah. Cook a feast. When lunch was ready, they sat down to eat and drink. One of the visitors asked Abraham, Where's Sarah? She's inside the tent, Answered, he answered. Next year, Sarah will have a baby, the visitor told him. A baby boy. Sarah was listening through the wall of tents. She just laughed. She heard the stranger say, but she didn't believe. She heard what the stranger said, but she didn't believe a word of it. I can't possibly have a children at my age, Sarah told herself. Why did Sarah laugh? The stranger asked Abraham. Nothing is impossible for God. Sure enough, about a year later, Sarah had a baby boy, just as God promised. Sarah was so, so happy. God made me laugh, she said. Everyone who hears this will want to laugh too. So Sarah named her baby Isaac, which means laughter. Now Isaac grew to become a fine young man. His father helped Abraham look after his flocks and sheep and herd the cattle. The day came with Abraham through Isaac should find a wife. So Abraham called for his trusted servant, Elizer. Go back to the land where we came from, I, Abraham told him. Then you will find a good wife for my son, Isaac. So Abraham's servant loaded his camels with rich, rich gifts and set out on a long, dusty journey to find a wife for Isaac. At last, Eliza arrived at the land Abraham had came from. He suddenly thought, I have no idea how I'm going to find a wife for Isaac. He sat beside a well to ponder his problem. Then God said to Eliza, The woman who gives your camels water to drink will be Isaac's wife. Not long after, a beautiful woman came to the well carrying a water pot. Sir, would you like water for your camels? She asked politely. At once, Eliza knew this must be the woman God had chosen as Isaac's wife. What's your name? He asked. I am Rebecca, she said. Come home to meet my family. 
When he arrived, Eliezer took out the gifts he had brought and gave them to Rebekah's family. Then he asked her, Will you let your beautiful daughter Rebekah marry Abraham's son? With pleasure, he answered. So Rebekah packed her belongings and stepped off to Canaan with Eliezer. The journey took many days, even months. Then one evening, just before the sun set, they stopped. The young, a young man was walking in the fields. He looked up. It was Isaac. He saw a beautiful young woman riding one of the camels. His bride had come. Isaac loved Rebekah very much and married her. Then Isaac and Rebekah were soon happily married, but they had no children. So Isaac and Rebekah prayed to God. It wasn't long before Rebekah was expecting twins. The firstborn twin was red and very hairy. They named him Esau, but Jacob, the second twin, had soft, smooth skin. Esau grew up to stay home with Rebecca. He was full of tricks. One day, Esau came home very hungry. He saw Jacob cooking, cooking up stew. Give me some of that, said Esau. I'm starving. Thinking quickly, Jacob said, give me your rights as Isaac's oldest son and you can have my stew. All right, said Esau foolishly. Isaac grew old and blind. He wanted to give his special blessing to his older son, which was Esau, but Rebekah wanted Jacob to get his blessing. So she tired hairy animal skin on Jacob's arms. Father, give me your special blessing, said Jacob when Esau was away. Stretch out your arms, said Isaac. If they're hairy, I'll know you're Esau. Jacob held out his arms. They felt hairy. Isaac thought it was Esau and gave Jacob his special blessing. Jacob has stolen my blessing, he cried. Where is he? But Jacob was gone. He'd run away to his uncle who lived in a far off country. One night while he was on the run, Jacob slept in the desert, choosing a rock as a pillow. Eesh. He had a wonderful dream. Jacob saw a stairway to heaven with angels walking up and down. God promised him, I will always look after your family. When Jacob woke up, he said, God is in this place. At last, Jacob reached his uncle Laban's house. Laban had two daughters, Leah and Rachel. Before long, Jacob fell in love with Rachel. He wanted to marry her. Work for me seven years, said Laban, then you may may then you may marry my daughter. Jacob worked hard every day so he could marry the woman he loved. At last the wedding day arrived. The bride wore a veil hiding her face. Would you ever look or marry a woman who has a veil in front of your face? She you don't really trust her, cause like who does that? But after they were married, she took off the veil. Jacob was in shock. It was Leah, not Rachel. Laban had tricked him. 
he'd have given Jacob his older daughter as a wife, not Rachel. Oh my gosh. Jacob was very angry, but Laban said, work seven years more, then I'll give you Rachel. Jacob loved Rachel so much, he worked for Laban seven more years. Then at last, he married his wife. Now Jacob decided it was time to go home. When he was almost there, Esau came to meet him. He was still angry with Jacob, but Esau ran up and hugged him. After this, the squirrelsome brothers lived as friends. Then Jacob had 12 sons. He loved every one of them, but Jacob loved his young son Joseph more than all of the others. One day, Jacob gave Joseph a fantastic coat. Why should Joseph get all the best presents? Sometimes, Joseph had strange dreams. And some were just so strange. Sometimes, Joseph had strange dreams like a lot. He loved to describe them to his brothers. I had the weirdest dream, he told them one day. We all had a bundle of grain. Then your bundles of grain all bowed down to mine. Joseph's brothers were cross. So you think we'd all bow down to you? Asked one. You're no better than us, asked, said another. One time, Jacob called for Joseph. Your brothers have gone away with the sheep, he said. Take some of your food. So when, so Joseph went off. Joseph's brothers saw him coming. Here comes our brother, the dreamer, said one. Let's get rid of him, said another. But a kinder brother said, don't hurt Joseph. Let's uh, throw him, no, let's just leave him alone, guys. I mean, we might get better respect one day, right? But one said, let's throw him down a, this dry well. He planned to rescue Joseph. So they threw him down the well. But he planned to, but the kind brother planned to rescue Joseph when his brothers were gone. When Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off his coat and threw him into the well. They saw one of the traders passing. Let's sell Joseph, said one brother. So they sold Joseph. They took him and torn off the old coat. But the kind brother tried to save him, but it was too late. So they took off Joseph's coat, ripped it apart, and put some sheep blood all on it. And he said, look, father. They said, pretending to be sad. We found Joseph's special coat, the one you gave him. A wild animal must have killed him. No one could comfort Jacob. Meanwhile, the traders took Joseph into the land of Egypt. Joseph was so sad. Never again would he see the people he loved. The traders brought Joseph into a market where people came 
to buy slaves. A rich Egypt man called Potiphar saw Joseph and brought him into his house. Joseph worked hard for Potiphar, but Potiphar's wife came to dislike Joseph, so she lied about him to her husband. Potiphar threw Joseph into prison, but in prison, everyone liked Joseph. Long before the governor put Joseph in charge of his prison, the king's cupbearer and the king's baker beer in three days. Potiphar, king of Egypt, will send you, and and you will work for him. Then Jesus spoke to the baker, Sorry, but your dream means that Pharaoh will put you to death. Please remember me when you see Pharaoh, said Joseph, to put, to put the cup beer as he left prison. I don't want you to stay in prison for the rest of your life, said the cup bearer. But the cup bearer forgot all about Joseph once he was back in Pharaoh's palace. Then one night, Pharaoh had two strange dreams. He described them to his wise men. I saw seven fat cows come out of the river, said Pharaoh. Then seven skinny cows swallowed up the seven fat cows. In my second dream, Seven good ears of grain were growing. Then seven bad ears ate up the good ears of grain. Whatever do my dreams mean? Uh, said the wise men. We don't know, said the wise men. So Pharaoh sent them all away. So that every moment the cupbearer remembered Joseph. Oh, Pharaoh, he said. In your prison as a young man who came to explain dreams. Then send him for at once. Soon, Joseph was standing before Pharaoh, dressed up in new clothes. I will tell you my dreams, said Pharaoh. Then you must explain them what they mean. Joseph agreed. So, Pharaoh told his dreams again. Both dreams mean the same thing. The seven fat cows are years with rich, with rich harvests. The seven skinny cows are seven years with no harvest. And so the seven good ears of grain are also seven years of plenty. And the seven poor ears are seven hungry years. God sent these dreams to warn you, Joseph told Pharaoh. In seven years of plenty, everyone will have enough food to eat. But in seven years of hunger, there will be absolute none food for anybody. Pharaoh looked worried. You've explained my dreams, he said. Now tell me how to stop all these bad harvesting years. Find a wise man to rule Egypt for you, said Joseph. He must build storehouses and hoard part of the harvest in good years until the bad years come. Then open up the storehouses and sell the grains hungry. So 
we can make bread to eat. Pharaoh chose Joseph to become the chief minister. He took off his royal ring and put it on Joseph's finger. For the next seven years, Joseph stored part of the in great barns. Then they came to an end. When the hungry years came, J Jacob and his family in Canaan had no grain either. But Jacob heard there was food in Egypt. Go to Egypt and buy grain, he told his sons. Benjamin, his youngest son, stayed home with old Jacob. When Jacob saw his brothers, he knew who they were, but he, per but they didn't recognize him. But soon, Joseph said, "You're spies." He said to test them. No, they replied. We simply came to buy food. Joseph gave them food, but said, "If they return, they must bring Benjamin." The brothers took the grain back to Jacob. But soon they needed more. The brothers returned to Egypt, taking Benjamin with them. Joseph hid a silver cup in Benjamin's sack of grain. <laughs> oh my gosh, Joseph. Okay, where was I? All right, then he cried, my silver cup's missing. Who stole it? Joseph knew who he, that he had it, that he put it in in Benjamin's um in Benjamin's um in Benjamin's sack. But he was just pretending. Then they found the cup in Jake in Benjamin's in Benjamin's, uh, all right. Then they found it in Benjamin's sack. Joseph said Benjamin couldn't go home with the others, but his brothers begged Joseph, begged Joseph not to keep Benjamin in Egypt. It will kill our father, said one of the sons. Jacob saw his brothers, they had changed. They were no longer cruel as they had been when they sold him years before. I'm your, I'm Joseph, your brother, he told them. You once sold me. Now hurry home and bring father to Egypt. How glad Jacob had found to find his beloved son, Joseph, again. This is how God's people, the Israelites, came in Egypt. After Jacob had been living in Egypt for many years, they came to a new king who hated the Israelites. This king, which was another king, he said, these are too many Israelites. These are too many Israelites. So, so, 
King Pharaoh had put the Israelites all the way to work. What was happening with that Pharaoh's mind? Well, I'll tell you why. Testing, testing. Okay, never mind. Um, well, I'll tell you why. Pharaoh was thinking the Israelites are too strong, so we'll make them work hard for us. And that did not work out so well, but it worked. So Pharaoh forced the Israelites to make bricks and build great cities. His shoulders beat up the Israelites to make them work harder. And he you. One day, Jacobid took her son to the princes. The, the princesses was proud of the boy. I shall call you Moses, she said. That means taken from the river. Now Moses was brought up to be a prince in the palace. He wore fine clothes and ate splendid food. But Moses never got that he was the son of an Israelite. Forgot that he was the son of an Israelite. He felt sorry for his people. He felt sorry for his people when he saw them working hard in the hot sun. When the time is right, he thought, I will rescue them. One day, Moses saw an Egyptian beating up an Israelite workman. Moses was so angry, he killed the Egyptian. Then he fled Egypt and, and lived as a shepherd in the desert. Back in Egypt, Pharaoh made life even harder for the Israelites. How they longed to escape. As Moses was leading his flock of sheep, he saw a bush on fire. Although the bush was burning, it didn't burn away. Then a voice called, Moses, Moses, I am the God of Abraham. Moses trembled. The Egyptians are oppressing my people. The Israelites, said God, I want you, Moses, to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. I couldn't do that, said Moses. But I will help you. But I stamper and stutter. Please send someone else. He pleaded, take your brother Aaron with you. He's a great speaker, said God. So Moses left his sheep and returned back to Egypt. Moses and Aaron stood right before the king of Egypt. Oh, Pharaoh, said Aaron. God says, let my people go so that they can worship me in the desert. Now, I don't know this God of yours, shouted Pharaoh, and I'm certainly not letting the Israelites go free. Then he ordered, make these Israelites work even harder. Pharaoh is making my people work harder still, Moses explained to God. Then go back and warm him, God told Moses. If he doesn't let my people go, the Egyptians will suffer. So 
So Moses and Aaron returned to Pharaoh. Pharaoh threw down his stick and turned it into a snake. Pharaoh's magic threw down their stick. I mean, Pharaoh's magicians threw down their sticks too, and they also turned into snakes. But Aaron's snake gobbled up the rest of the snakes. Still, Pharaoh didn't do what God said. So God sent very hard times to Egypt. Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh again. God says, let my people go, said Aaron. If you don't, he'll turn the river into blood. I will never let your people go, replied Pharaoh. So God turned the water of the river Nile into blood. No one can drink it. Ask your God to turn the blood back to water, said Pharaoh. Then I will let your people go. God did so. But still, Pharaoh didn't let the Israelites go. After this, God sent hordes of frogs all over the land. Still, Pharaoh did not let them go. God sent swarms of flies across the land. God made all the animals in Egypt fall sick. Still, Pharaoh did not let God, God's people go. Painful sores appeared to the Egyptian skin. Huge hailstones fell on their heads. Grasshoppers called locusts ate leaf and every stalk of grain. Darkness fell across the entire land of Egypt. Still, Pharaoh did not obey God. Finally, God told Moses, The firstborn of every living in Egypt will die. To escape this, the Israelites must mark their blood with their doorways with lamb's blood. So the Israelites splashed their doors with lamb's blood. At last, Pharaoh told Moses, Get your people out of Egypt. So the Israelites left. Moses led his people out of Egypt on the journey to the land that God had promised them in later years. The Israelites remembered that God saved them in a festival called Passover. <sighs> the Israelites walked day and night to get away from Egypt. But they had gone. The Egyptians were furious. Now they have no one to work for them. So Pharaoh's army chased the Israelites. The Israelites reached the shores of the Red Sea. But how were they going to cross? The Egyptians were close behind. Don't be afraid, said Moses. God will help us. He stretched out his hands and the rivers divided. The Israelites walked safely across the dry land. But it wasn't so easy for Moses to hold down. I mean, a bunch of people, maybe hundreds or thousands of people had to, like, cross it. And Moses still holding up his hands. Even other Israelites were still holding Moses' hands so all of them can go through. And then Moses lowered his hands. The water flowed back and Pharaoh and his soldiers were drowned. At last, the Israelites were safe 
from Mos from Pharaoh and the Egyptians. But, but before long, the Israelites ran out of food. They came angrily to Moses. Why did you lead us into the desert? They shouted. We'll starve to death here. We should have stayed in Egypt. God will take care of you, said Moses. Wait until you see something wonderful. They woke up. The Israelites saw white powder covering the ground. It tasted good. They called it manna and found it every morning. The Israelites trudged for weeks through the desert, tired and hot. They came to Mount Sinai, where they set up camp. Moses climbed the mountain to meet with God. I will be your God, and you sh shall be my people, he promised. I will give you rules for living. Write them down. That is how the tombstones began. So Moses wrote down God's rules on flat stones. We call them the Ten Commandments. Moses was away on the mountain so long that the Israelites thought he wasn't coming back. So Aaron asked them to bring him their gold rings and bracelets. And from these, he made a golden calf. He set it up in the camp. And people started to pray to it. They forgot that God brought them out of Egypt. As Moses was coming down the mountain, he heard singing. He couldn't understand what the noise was all about until he saw the calf of gold. Moses was so angry, he smashed the stones with God's rules on them. He had to climb. He had to climb. Mount Sinai all over again to get a new set. The Israelites told God they were sorry for making the golden calf. God said to the Israelites where they built a special tent called the tabernacle, where they go to worship. It was easy to take it apart and carry it with them all the way with, to their travels. They also made a golden box, the Ark of the Covenant, for storing the Ten Commandments. It was kept inside the tent. Now continue your journey to the country, I promised you, God told the Israelites. I will be with you. So the Israelites packed their tents, left Mount Sinai, and moved on. They wandered through the desert. 40 years. Sometimes they grumbled, complained, but God never, ever, ever, ever gave up on them. After long years of wandering, Moses finally brought the Israelites to the mountain called Nebo. From the top, they could see the land God had promised them, but unfortunately, Moses died before he could enter the promised land. At last, the Israelites came to the river Jordan. On the other side, they lay on the land that God had promised them, the land of Canaan. But they had one more problem, how to cross the river. But they had one more problem, how to cross the river. 
God told the priest to walk into the water carrying the holy box containing God's laws. When they did so, God made a dry path. All the people followed. Then the waters of the river flooded back again. Now the Israelites were in the promised land, and they had a new leader, Joshua. In the first place they came was to the city of Jericho. It had huge, thick walls, mighty gates, and guards posted everywhere. The Israelites set up camp outside of the walls of Jericho. Then God told Joshua how to capture Jericho. For six days, march the people around the city. On the seventh day, march around it seven times. Then the priest must blow a loud blast. The walls of Jericho will fall, and the city will be yours. So the Israelites did as God instructed. On the seventh day, they marched around the great walls of Jericho seven times, following the priest. And the holy box. The seventh time, the priests blew their trumpets, and the Israelites shouted at the top of their voice. Down crashed the walls of Jericho, as God had promised. Soon, the Israelites had captured the whole city. This was just the first of Joshua's many victories in Canaan. With Joshua leading them, the Israelites gradually took over the Promised Land. After Joshua died, the Israelites forgot about God and all that He had done for them. So God let the fierce Philistines attack their country. One day, an angel told an Israelite named Mohanna, "Your wife is going to have a baby. When he grows up, he will protect your people from the Philistines." When the baby was born. His parents named him Samson. They never cut his hair. That showed he had a very special job to do. When Samson grew up, he was extraordinarily strong. He killed a lion with his bare hands. He set fire to the Philistines, harvesting standing ripe in the fields. He was unbeatable. The Philistines. Were desperate to capture this super strong man. Then one day, Samson fell in love with a beautiful Philistine girl called Delilah. The Philistines' kings went to Delilah. We'll give you more money than you could ever dream of. They told her, if you can get Samson to tell you why he's so strong. Delilah agreed at once. The next time she was with Samson, she asked slyly, "What is it that makes you so strong?" But each time she asked, Samson told her something different. Like, if you tie me up with new rope, I will be as weak as anyone else. He said, or weave my hair into the loom. I'll be as weak as a baby. Delilah tried these out, but Samson was strong as ever. If you don't tell me what makes you so strong, Delilah moaned, it shows you don't really love me. So 
So Samson gave in. If someone shaves my head, he whispered, I will lose all my strength. As soon as Samson was snoring, Delilah cut off his hair. Snip, snip, snip. Samson lost all his strength. Philistine soldiers burst in, tied him, and dragged him off. No trouble at all. Soon, Samson was chained up in prison. But day by day, his hair began to grow back. The Philistines didn't notice. Let's get Samson from prison, they said. So they brought Samson to the temple where the party was being held. The Philistines jeered at Samson. Aren't you supposed to be so strong? Help me once more, Samson prayed to God. Samson pushed with all his might against the temple's pillars. Down fell the roof of the top of the party goers. Every Philistine in the temple was killed. And so was Samson. This was his last great feat of strength. On the top of the hill, God's tent still stood there and lived priests who taught the Israelites to love and obey God. Each year they held a great festival and crowds of people came to celebrate. One year a man brought his wife, Hanana, to the festival. She longed to have a baby boy. Eli, the chief priest, heard Hannah talking to God. Lord, let me have a son. I will give him to you to help you, she prayed. Go home, Hannah, said Eli. God has heard you. Hannah went home happy. She felt sure she would have the son she wanted, and she did. We'll call our baby Samuel, she said. When he was born, she said, I will give him to God as I promised. When Samuel was grown old enough, Hannah took him back to God's tent. Eli was waiting. Here's the child I asked for, Hannah said. I have brought Samuel to help you serve God in his great tent. Soon, Samuel was able to help the priests with their jobs. Some of the priests taught him to read and write. One day, Samuel was asleep in bed and he heard a voice call, Samuel, Samuel! He sat up startled. If Eli was calling him, well, he ran to him. Here I am, Eli, he said. You call? I did, Samuel, said Eli. Go and lay down again. Samuel went to his room and lay down. At once he heard the voice call again. Samuel! Eli and Samuel raced to each other. Here I am again. You did call me, right? The old priest said once more. No, I didn't call you. Go back and lay down. The third time, the voice came. Samuel, Samuel. The third time, Samuel went to Eli. Here I am, Eli. I'm sure you did call, he said. By now, Eli knew it had to be God. If it wasn't Samuel, then it was God. Go lay down, Samuel, said Eli. If you hear the voice again, say, speak, Lord. Your helper is listening. Samuel fell a bit frightened when Eli said this, but he went back to his room. He listened, and the voice yet again sang, Samuel, Samuel. This time, Samuel answered, 
Speak, Lord, your helper is listening. And God did speak to him. He told Samuel about some sad things that were going to happen. When Samuel grew up, people said, truly, he is the friend of God. One day, God told Samuel, you must find a new king to rule Israel. A young shepherd boy named David lived with his family in the town of Bethlehem. David had grown up brothers. He could sing beautifully and pray brilliantly on the harp. And David was a shepherd too. He guarded his flock. He had a sling he could use to hurl stones at wild animals. One day, a lion and a bear came after David's sheep. He leaped up and killed the lion and the bear, just with his slingshot and a stone. God told Samuel, Go to Bethlehem and find a man called Jesse. One of his sons will be the new king of Israel. So Samuel went to Bethlehem, and Jesse paraded his seven grown-up sons before him. But Samuel knew God hadn't chosen any of them, although they were handsome and strong. He was puzzled. Are all your sons here? He asked Jesse. All except David, my youngest. He's minding the sheep. Fetch him, said Samuel. As soon as David ran in, Samuel knew this is the boy God had chosen when he is older. David will be the new king of Israel. Soon, Israel's enemies, the Philistines, came to do battle. David's brothers went to fight. One day, David took some food to his brothers as he talked to them. He saw a huge giant called Goliath march out of the Philistine camp. Who will fight me? The giant bellowed. Haven't you Israelites got anyone brave enough to face me? But all the Israelites were scared of the, well, I mean, the terrible giants. I mean, would you run and be scared if a terrible giant came to you? Of course you would. But he, but David said bravely, I'll fight Goliath. His brothers just laughed. So David went to King Saul. I'm not afraid of the giant, he said. I'll fight him for you. But Saul said, you're much too young. God will help me, said David. Go then, said Saul, and gave David his own sword. I can't even lift it, said David, and gave it back. David went to the nearby brook, chose five smooth pebbles, and took them in his shepherd pouch. Down the hill trode Goliath the mighty. David went to, well, try and defeat the giant. When the giant caught sight of David, he roared with laughter. But David put a pebble in his sling, whirled it around, and head let it fly. The stone struck Goliath on his forehead, and the giant dropped down. When the Philistines saw their strongest man fall down dead, they all ran off. David put beaten the Philistines single-handed. Years later, after King Saul died, David became the king of Israel, as Samuel had said he would.
David ruled as king for Israel for 40 years. He won many battles against Israel's enemies. David had many sons, and these, and of these, it was Salmon who became king when he died. David gave his son Salmon this good advice: be a strong king, trust God, and obey His laws. Salmon ruled Israel for many years. During his region, the people of Israel lived in peace. One night, after he he became king, God spoke to Simon in a dream. What gift would you like most from me? He asked. Please, God, make me wise, King Simon said. I want to make good choices when people ask what they should do. God was pleased. Simon didn't ask for gold. I will make you wiser than anyone who has lived, God promised. So it was that Simone became the wisest of kings. On day two, woman bought, brought a baby to the place. They showed King Simone the baby. It's my baby, said one. No, it's not. It's mine, shouted the other. They were squabbling so noisily that Simone had to cry, Silence! The king needed to decide which woman was really the baby's mother. He thought hard and said, Hmm, call my captain of guards. When the captain arrived, Simone ordered, Take this baby and cut it exactly in two. No, no, please don't do that, one woman cried. I'd rather this woman have the baby than cut it in two. Just please, don't cut it in half, please. Why, Simone knew at once that this was the baby's mother. She had a true mother's love for her baby. King Simone built a wonderful temple where his people could worship God. His workmen used huge stones to construct the walls and brought fine cedar wood to make wall panels and furniture. When the temple was finished, it was a wonderful sight. Inside was a room with no windows called the holiest place, where the holy box was to be kept. The walls of this room were covered in gold. In an outer room stood a gold altar and ten gold lampstands. Simone made the temple as splendid as possible and put the very great furnishings on it. When everything was ready, Simone held the special opening ceremony. The priest carried to the temple the holy box containing God's laws. At once, the temple was filled with the dazzling light to show God was with them. Afterwards, a great feast was held at last a whole week after Simone died. His kingdom split into two. The kingdoms of Israelite and Judea, both kingdoms, were sometimes ruled by good kings, sometimes bad. King Abab was one of the very bad kings of Israel. He married a wicked woman called Jabel. 
and did many things God said were wrong. Elijah was one of God's special messengers, who the Bible calls prophets. He told people that God thought about them. God sent Elijah, the prophet, to teach Ahab a lesson. Ahab, king of Israel, said Elijah. God says, because you have done so much wrong, it will not reign in your kingdom for many years. This made Ahab angry. King Ahab was so angry, he wanted to harm Elijah. So Elijah ran away to hide in the desert. He lived alone beside a tiny stream. He drank its pure flowing water. But Elijah could not find anything to eat away in the desert. He asked God to feed him. So God sent Elijah big black birds to called ravens carrying meat for them in their beaks. In this way, the prophet always had enough to eat. But there was so little rain that one day a stream dried up. Now Elijah had nothing to drink. What was he going to do now? I will show you where to find food and drink, God told him. Start walking. On the road you will meet a woman. You must ask this woman to give you food. Elijah sent off just as God told him. And as God had said on the way to meet a woman, can you spare me some food? Elijah called politely. I only have enough food to eat one last meal for me and my son, the woman told him. Cook something for me first, Elijah called, said to the woman. If you do so, there will be enough for you, me, and your son. A woman did as he told her. She cooked a meal for Elijah and prepared food for her son and herself. Elijah stayed with the woman and her son. And from that day, the woman and her son never went without food. After three whole years without rain, Elijah spoke to God. But uh, it didn't go very well, so God spoke to Elijah. Now go back to see King Ahab again. So Elijah left the woman's house and went to the royal palace. It's you, it is Elijah, said the king. How dare you come into my palace? You brought nothing but trouble to my kingdom. Rubbish, said Elijah. It's you, Ahab, who has brought all the trouble to your kingdom. You have done so many wrong things that God has punished you and your people. It's your fault there's been no rain at all. The king glowered. But in his heart, he still knew that Elijah was right. Now, let's have a contest, Elijah went on. Let's find out whose God is real. Your God, Baal, or my God, the living God. Ahab agreed. So, they went to a hill called Mount Carmel to set things up for the competition. Ahab's prophets ran around collecting stones to build an altar for their god Baal, which is not a real god. And Elijah found 
just the right stones to build altar for the god that only very good um, people like us would believe in. The real living god. And then the contest began. The king's prophets placed offerings on their altar. They prayed for fire from heaven. They expected their god to send fire to burn up the sacrifice. But nothing happened. I mean, like, what? The king's prophets screamed at their god. Bull! But no fire came. Elijah teased him. Pray louder, he called. Perhaps your god is asleep and, and can't hear. They shouted even louder, but still nothing happened, and at last they gave up. By now, it was evening. Elijah placed an offering on his altar and poured water over it to make it difficult to catch on fire. Then he prayed, God in heaven, send fire to my altar, and fire came. It burned up the offering and stones and even the water. Now the people of Israelites knew that Elijah's God was a living God. And God sent rain into, the Isra into Israel at last. After all, the long dry years. But King Ahab and his horrible wife, Queen Jezebel, still wanted to have Elijah killed. He had to run away to the desert. He got there, he felt so tired, and lay down and fell fast asleep. Someone tapped Elijah on his shoulder. He looked up, and he looks very startled. He had Ahab's soldiers caught up? No, it was an angel who had come to feed him. Go and find a man named Ishla, said the angel. He will help you and continue your work on what you've gone. Elijah was no longer on his own. He had a nice angel helper with him. Elijah set out to find his new helper. He discovered Elisha working in a field. Elijah put on his cloak on the younger man to show he wanted Elisha to become his helper. Then Elisha said goodbye to his parents and followed Elijah. Elijah was growing old and Elijah and Elisha went everywhere with him. One day, Elijah and Elisha were walking together. All of a sudden, a flaming chariot with horses of fire appeared. The fiery horses drove the chariot between Elijah and Elisha. Then whoosh! Elijah went up to heaven in the chariot. Elisha watched him go. Then Elisha went on his way. He met a woman who says, I have nothing to eat, just this one little pot of oil. Collect lots of empty pots and jars from your friends, Elisha said, and pour your oil into them. The woman collected as many pots and jars as she could. Then she poured oil to her pot. It just kept coming. Soon, she had filled every jar in the house. When the woman sold the oil that paid off all the money she owed and bought food for, for her family, another woman asked Alicia for help. My little boy has died. Please come and help me. 
Alicia went to her house and prayed for her son. The little boy sneezed and opened his eyes, and he had come right back to life. Naaman, a great general in the army, had a horrible skin disease called latropsy. People with latropsy were not allowed to go near to other people. In case they spread the disease, Naaman's servant girl said, I wish you could meet the prophet Elisha. He could heal you. So Naaman went off to search for Elisha, washed the river Jordan seven times, and you will be well, Elisha told the general. Naaman wasn't sure about this. It sounded a bit silly, but he decided to do what Elisha said. He went to the river and washed it seven times. After the seventh time, the latropsy vanished. Darius, a great king with Medes and Parishes, he had a mighty king with 120 governors to rule his huge kingdom. Daniel was one of the one of Darius' governors. Daniel was so wise that Daniel that Darius decided to make him chief governor of his kingdom. Every morning, every lunchtime, and every night, Daniel prayed to God. The other governors were jealous of Daniel. They tried to, well, find some fault in him, but they couldn't. So the jealous governor plotted against Daniel. They were they went to the king. Oh, King Darius, live forever! They said. You are the only wise and powerful, and the king liked that. O king, make a new law, they continued. The law said, one must pray to everyone. Well, no. The law says that no one must pray to anyone except you. If anyone disobeys his law, added the governor excitedly, he'll be thrown into a pit full of lions. The king huffed out his chest. That sounded great, except for the lion part, but still. Write out this new law for me, Darius told his governors. The governors did so, and the king pressed his seal into the wax scroll they gave him. Now it's a royal law. The new law was proclaimed. It cannot be changed. Now the jealous governors hid where they could spy on Daniel's house. That very lunchtime, they saw him going home and pray to God. He did every day. The governors rushed straight back to King Darius. O oh, king, live forever. You have, not, you have not ordered that anybody shall pray to any god except you. Yes, of course I have, said Darius. We've seen Daniel praying to his god, they said. Oh dear, oh dear, just oh dear. Darius could not believe that Daniel had done that. Darius was sorry because he liked Daniel. He tried to think of a way to stop top governor. The law of the Medes and the Persians cannot be changed, the governors reminded him. Daniel must be thrown into the lion's pit. So sadly, the king agreed. Soldiers see Daniel marched him into the pit of lions and locked him in. That night, the king couldn't eat and couldn't sleep. 
the one I'm thinking of poor Daniel in the pit of lions. As soon as morning, Darius leaped out of bed and hurried down to the lion's pit. Daniel, are you there? Are you all right? There stood Daniel completely unharmed. Oh, king, said Daniel, I'm here and I'm fine. There's not a scratch on me. How come you're not hurt, said Darius. God sent an angel to shut the mouths of the lions so they couldn't bite me, Daniel told him. Darius was overjoyed. Get Daniel out of this pit and set him free at once, shouted the king. Go arrest those wicked governors who trapped Daniel. From this day, everyone must respect Daniel's God. He is the living God. This is the law of the Medes and Persians. It cannot be changed. And one day, um, all of that changed. That's how we all go to Mass. Now, let me tell you Jonah and the great big fish. One day, God spoke to his prophet Jonah. Go to the great city of Navahid, he said. Tell the people there are so bad that I must punish them. I don't want to go and tell these people God's going to punish, Jonah thought. It sounds too much scary. So he ran away instead. Jonah went to the port and jumped on a ship going to the opposite direction. The ship sailed off, taking Jonah farther and farther away from the great city of Navis. But before long, God sent a mighty storm. The rain fell, lightning flashed, and the waves rose higher and higher. The seas was soon so rough that the ship almost broke in half. The sailors were terrified. God help us! Don't let us down! Jonah was sprawled out down below death fast asleep. He hadn't even noticed the storm. The captain climbed out to find him. Wake up, shouted the captain. You need to help us. God won't hear me, Jonah told him. It's all my fault because I disobeyed God. That's why he sent the storm. But he went back on the deck with the captain. Throw me into the sea, Jonah yelled to the sailors. Then perhaps the storm We'll stop and you'll be safe. At first, the sailors didn't want to do this, but the storm just kept on getting wilder. So the great heave, the sailors tossed Jonah overboard into the sea. The moment Jonah hit the water, the storm stopped. Down, down, the swirling water went Jonah. Then, oh, something swallowed him whole. Now Jonah was in the stomach of a massive fish that was swimming past. It was a big whale. Jonah was in the tummy of the fish three whole days and three whole nights. Lord, save me, he prayed. Lord, save me. He was scared now. God had told him to go to Naboth. And more scared things during ha happened during the sea. But God heard Jonah pray. Before long, the fish spat Jonah out onto the seashore. Jonah stood up, shook off the seaweed, dried himself, and wondered what to do next. Then God spoke to him, Jonah, go to the city of Naboth. Say to the bad people, God is going to punish you. This time Jonah did exactly what God told him to do. 
He went to Naboth and said, God is going to destroy your great city. The people of Naboth were very frightened. We're so sorry, they prayed. Forgive us. We'll change our ways. God heard them. I've decided not to destroy the city after all, he told the Naivis. So the ship was saved. Jonah was saved. And the city of Naboth was saved too. And this is not the end of our podcast, my friends. But, um, go check the Bible part two, okay? Now, this is a good moment to tell you guys right now that listening to God is very important. Remember when I was saying when um, that man, he was not listening to God to go to Naboth? Well, what happened? Exactly. The storm shook everything. A ship almost split apart. So the only way to save the sailors was to throw him into the sea. And a rainbow meant that God was never going to flood the earth ever again. We learned so much. Now don't forget to go to the Bible part two. Okay? Now see you later. Bye.